from NJ.com. This is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome aboard, Giants fans, to episode 89 of Talk is Cheap, our New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Joe Giglio, joined as always by James Cratch and Dan Duggan. They cover the Giants for NJ Advanced Media, doing this podcast uh, here on Monday, April 17th, which means we are 10 days away from the time we record this until the first round of the NFL draft. The Giants, of course, hold the 23rd pick. Last week, we went over a lot of offensive names and players from the offensive line to uh, the quarterbacks, which is going to be a big story around the Giants this year. Uh, this week, we'll look at defense, and we'll have some over-unders about the draft towards the end of the show. James, we'll start with you. Um, you know, the Giants had one of the best defenses in the NFL last year, but just because they were good on that side of the ball last year and struggled more on the offense side of the ball, that doesn't preclude them from going defense. And in fact, I think recently you've you've mentioned a, a linebacker and defensive players that could be the pick at 23. Yeah, definitely. I think obviously the Giants are pretty well set, I think, in terms of the early rounds, first round in the secondary. I don't think they're going to take a safety number one with the first round pick. They're not going to take a cornerback with the first round pick. Uh, you might see them get those positions later in the draft. But defensive tackle, obviously, Jonathan Hankins has left and signed with the Colts since we last were on the podcast. So they've got a hole for a starting defensive tackle at the moment. We've talked about the pass rush concerns, the depth behind OV and JPP. There could be a pass rusher in the market. And obviously linebacker, I think, you know, multiple linebackers entering contract years, looking to get younger there, get a playmaker there potentially. So the the defense was really good last year, but I think that there's a very good chance that they're going to look to add a bigger piece to the puzzle with their number 23 pick uh, in two weeks from now, 10 days from now. Yeah, 10 days away. And linebacker, that, that'd be a big story, Dan. The Giants just don't take linebackers in the first round. They haven't in a, in a long time. When you look at them and the guys that could be there for them um, on the defensive side, you know, give me a name or two that you think could stand out or just a position or two that you think they could target if they go defense. Yeah, I feel like it needs to always be stated linebacker, 1984. I mean, it's really just an incredible run of not drafting a specific position in the first round. So it's been since, and we've said before, Kyle Banks and LT were the last two. So maybe if they want to pick up that streak, they can get a third good one uh, just 33 years later. But um, So I'll start at linebacker um, because it's probably the position that would make the most sense if they are going to go at 23. Um, and the guy who's been linked to him quite a bit is Zach Cunningham from Vanderbilt. Um, you know, Jerry Reese was at Vanderbilt's pro day. Cunningham's a guy who I think probably step in right away. You know, wouldn't need to step into a starting role, but would be able to make an impact in his first year. I know I think people are kind of hot and cold on him because I think he's he doesn't wow you, but he was super productive playing in the SEC. Um, you know, plays sideline to sideline, would have some athleticism, but doesn't have that pass rush ability you might want from an outside linebacker, especially in the first round. So I can understand why people are a little lukewarm on him, um, but he's a guy who would make some sense if you're just looking to get a solid player in here. Uh, who can you know take over? As James said, a lot of these linebackers uh, in the last year of their contract might not all be back next year, so you're going to need to start to build uh, the foundation there. And then another name that uh, recently started to seem to get linked to the Giants a little bit more is uh, Jared Davis from Florida. Uh, you know, another guy who I think would just be a really solid guy who can step in, maybe more of a middle linebacker. So I don't know if um, you know BJ Goodson's presence would impact that, but I think Good- Goodson could eventually find himself on the strong side. Um, you know, I think you can find different spots for guys at linebacker, but. I mean, those are two guys that I think would be very realistic uh, at 23. I'm not saying that's the way they're going to go. And then I guess if I'm going to throw one more linebacker in would be uh, Hassan Reddick from Temple, who I think he's more 
uh, of an exciting guy because he does have that pass rush ability. He's really kind of blown away this pre-draft process, uh, you know, kind of checks all the boxes athletically. Uh, so I can see why uh, he would be in, in, in contention there. I don't know if he's the greatest fit because you know, he's more of an end in college. So can he transfer to being a, a weak side outside linebacker in a 4-3? Uh, obviously, uh, you know, Steve Spagnuolo and, and company have to determine that. But he's a guy, if they get, could almost be a little bit more of a game changer than those first two guys I mentioned because he could come in and have a role on, say, third downs or passing situations and, and really bring something this defense lacked, and that's a pass rush from the second level. So. Uh, you know, th- those are three linebackers I think are very much in play at 23. And it's really going to depend, obviously, how the board uh, shakes out. Good chance Reddick isn't even there when the Giants are on the clock. Yeah, he might not be. You're right, Dan. He nailed the process. I mean, I've heard his name so much the last couple of weeks that he might be gone way before the Giants pick. James, when you look at the defense, and it was so good last year, and, you know, the second half of the season it came on, and it, we talked about it so much of just how good that unit was. Forget names at this point. Like, forget Reddick and Davis and all these these kids out there, different positions, linebacker or pass rusher. If you were to add, and you think the Giants could add one position, right, on this defense, if you were to just take, I'm going to get a, a linebacker, or say, what position would it be to add, do you think would take this defense to the next level in 2017? Like, if there was a missing piece in your mind, what would it be? I think it's a pass rusher. And it's preferably a guy who can play on the end, maybe can bump inside. I just think if you look at this this team, you've got two stud defensive ends in Alan Vernon and Pierre Paul. But after that, we're talking about Kerry Wynn, who I think has one and a half career sacks, and he you know he still hasn't signed as restricted free agent tender. Uh, Romeo Aquara, who had a very promising rookie year as undrafted guy, but he was more of a run stuffer. You know, and yet he's undrafted rookie, so you really can't expect you know tremendous things out of him. And then Oa Odigizua, who we thought was retiring after that bizarre Twitter thing, so they don't really have much proven production after the two big guns. And I just think if you look at the Giants and their history when they've been successful, they've had multiple pass rushers they can throw at you. So I think that whether it's a guy who's really high on boards like Derek Barnett. Or it's a guy like maybe Reddick or, or uh, Taco Charlton or Charles Harris, someone. There's some sort of pass rushing presence they can throw in on nickel downs with JPP, with Olivier Vernon, and have more production out of that group. Because remember, they were only like middle of the pack in sacks last year. So it was a big improvement from 2015, but they still weren't that necessarily that dominant pass rush team. I think the Cowboys had more team sacks, and no one really thought of the Cowboys last year as this big-time pass rush unit. Dan, would you be on the same page? Or the school of thought the other way would be, and I, I don't disagree, James, that they could use another pass rusher, but the first round, I mean, they just paid so much money to JPP. They paid so much money to Vernon. When you take a kid in the first round, he usually plays or gets on the field a lot. Um, outside of nickel, when would that kid play? Dan, would you agree with James, or do you think it'd be something else if you were to add one thing? I mean, I agree that it's it's certainly got to be a consideration because I don't think you can have too many pass rushers. Like, you know, such a passing league and the ability of JPP and Vernon to move inside and potentially whoever you draft maybe has those characteristics too. I think you will be able to get enough snaps. And, and I think the biggest thing is really it's insane that JPP and Vernon played 95% of the snaps last season. You can say that didn't contribute to JPP's injury, but I think anyone knows if you're on the field that much, if nothing else, you're just exposing yourself to more injuries. So uh, I think they want to get that in check. And as James said, the, the depth behind them is a little bit questionable. So I, I don't think that'd be a bad pick at all. But I do understand your point that if you're taking a guy in the first round 
you know, is he going to sit behind these guys for four years? They're, you know, they're both signed long term. Same time, this isn't a top 10 pick. So it's not, you know, you're not getting Miles Garrett and putting him on the bench or anything like that. I mean, it would be a guy who would probably be best served to come in in a rotation. I think if you're looking at the hole that they obviously have on defense right now, uh, you know, aside from linebacker, where they at least have guys that they can put in for this season, uh, as defensive tackle. I mean, the, the Hankins uh, free agency saga finally came to a conclusion. Now, I don't know that there's really a defensive tackle that'd be worth taking at 23 who is going to be a game changer. I think even if you just look at Jerry Reese's track record, it's more of a second round pick. And I think that would probably make more sense, uh, you know, with the way this draft class is lining up. But that's at least got to be a consideration if you're looking at what's the biggest need and, and you know, you know, where they want to try and find the biggest impact player who can step in right away. I think defensive tackle is that spot. The only guy who really even is is maybe in that range is Malik McDowell from Michigan State. He checks a lot of the boxes physically in the fact that he could bump inside and outside. Very physically talented, but he's a guy who would barely even be on my board because if you have effort questions when you're in college trying to get paid, what happens when this guy gets the, starts getting the check? You're going to tell me he's going to certain, suddenly find motivation? I mean, it's just you know the 12 college games. You can't bring it every week in college. Uh, that's troubling to me. So he's a guy who fits the mold, and maybe if, if the, the effort, the red flags weren't there, I, I would like that pick, but I, I can't justify taking a guy who had you know, effort concerns in college. Yeah, that feels like a tough one, even though, I mean, that could be you know, high risk, high reward there for a team like the Giants. All right, let's jump to another position that, James, you mentioned earlier, right when you started, you know, just to kind of cut the conversation of what they have, what they might need on defense. This is a really great secondary draft. That's what everyone has been saying for months and specifically at corner. Let me throw this question at you, James. The Giants are probably a set at corner heading into 2017 as any team in the NFL, right? Janoris Jenkins was a star in his first year and he's still, you know, in his prime. He's not close to old. Eli Apple, they just took in the first round last year and you still have DRC on the roster despite uh, some thought maybe he wouldn't be there because of his high salary for this coming year. But they have three legit corners what if one of the star corners falls to them? I mean, there could be like, you know, I've seen mocks with 15 corners go in the first two rounds. Do you think that just helps the Giants because they don't need corner and other good players will follow them? Or the other way, you know, if they're at 23 and there's a corner that, you know, was a top 10 name that is there, do you think that could be under consideration? That's a great question about the cornerbacks. I think it depends. My gut says no. I don't think the Giants will take a cornerback in the first round just because they, they've obviously invested Eli Apple a year ago. They've got Janoris Jenkins, you know, Dominique Rogers, Cromartie. If you had a move for DRC on the table and you could trade him for an asset, I could see them taking a cornerback in the first round and then shipping DRC out. But I don't think it would make much sense to just take a cornerback and cut DRC because if you're just going to cut him outright, why didn't you do it a couple months ago when you could have used that cap space in free agency? So my gut says no, but if a guy like Marshawn Lattimore, who now people are saying they're concerned about his durability, if a guy who was supposed to be way up there falls all the way to 23, I think all bets are kind of off and you have to be flexible there, but that that aside, I, I don't think the Giants are going to take a guy like a Marlon Humphrey, a Kevin King at number 23 if that guy happens to fall to them. Dan, where do you fall on this? Do you a best player available type of thing? I mean, the Giants are in a – it's so different than last year where we, you know, we were dissecting names each week because they were so close to the top of the draft that you, know, you could have that kind of conversation. At 23, it's different, but there's always that specter of best player available even if it doesn't – you know, fit a need. Corner's clearly not a need on the Giants. What do you think they should do and would do if 
but let's say one of those top corners was just sitting there at 23. Yeah, I mean, best player available is such an interesting thing because, it, you know, it doesn't make sense, though, in every, you know, there's no way you have one guy, you know, so far above other guys. You're typically going to have grouping. So I think you still have to take some consideration for what's on your roster and, and you know, what would fit. And corner, like, I, I can make the same case made with corner uh, with defensive end. They have, uh, you know, talent there and they don't need a guy there. But the difference for me with corner is, I, I think there's so many solid corners you can get later in this draft that it would make a lot less sense than it would be to get a pass rusher. Um, you know, you have your top three guys. Granted, they do need some depth, and you know, they need someone uh, insurance policy injury wise, and they also need someone to prepare for the future because you know DRC could be you know kind of coming towards the end of the road. Uh, but that being said, it's just such a deep draft and cornerback. It wouldn't really make sense to me to use a premium pick on that position when it's not a dire need. I mean, I think they can easily wait until the third round, the fourth round, even later, and get quality players. And and going back to a a point you made earlier, which I think should help the Giants, the fact that there are so many cornerbacks climbing the boards, that should help push guys down that kind of fit a Giants need more. So I think it works out better that let the corners go up because they don't need them, and then hopefully a tight end or – or running back or someone they really can use uh, drops to them. So uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't chase a corner. Of course, like you said, if a top five, top ten talent drops him, you know, all bets are kind of off. But uh, if the board shapes up somewhat like we expect, I just can't see taking a corner. Yeah, it would be surprising though. The, the more names that fall the other way, uh, that could be interesting. All right, let's let's touch on this for a couple minutes. Then we'll get to uh, kind of a quick hitter on over unders for this draft and just kind of gauge where you guys your minds are as we're ten days out now. So the Giants we mentioned earlier, they're really good on defense. Offense hasn't been, uh, you know, at least last year lagged behind. And there's two schools of thought, and I wonder where you guys sit on this, that you have to fix the offense, you have to bring the offense up to the level of defense, or at least try. And offseason-wise, you know, they did a lot. I mean, they brought in Brandon Marshall. That that alone should improve uh, the def- the offense for the Giants. But as you look towards the draft, James, where do you side? You know, forget the best player available thing, just in general. Do you think the Giants would be wise to load up the defense even more or fix the offense, whether it be first round, second round, really, really strong on one side or, or try to be more balanced, which I'm sure is a thought that they have. But, you know, if they add a couple more defensive players in the first couple rounds, like their defense would be unreal. I think you have to try to be balanced, but you can't, you know, try to be balanced for the sake of balance just because we've talked about this before on the podcast. I do feel that there's a lot more defensive depth in this draft in terms of high-level talent then maybe there is offensive depth at positions where the Giants have a need. You know, this is not a terribly strong offensive line group. We've discussed that uh, multiple times. I don't think the Giants necessarily say we're going to take a offensive lineman in the second round, no matter what, because we got a defensive guy in the first round. I think, you know, if, if there's a much better defensive player available on the board, you have to take that guy. But that being said, I don't feel like the Giants can go into this and just go defense, 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 and then look to their offense. Because it's still, I think at the end of the day, the offense in many ways is what was kind of holding this team back last year. And I don't know if they can really make the necessary fixes to this offense, because I think the the main problem is the offensive line, of course. But I, I also think that you have to strive for balance, but you can't just say, well, we're taking an offensive lineman because we we got to get one. Because remember last year, Everyone banged the table about how they had no offensive line depth. And what did they do? They didn't take a single offensive lineman. After there was a report 
uh, on draft day saying they were going to, no matter what, they were just going to take whatever offensive lineman came within their, 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 their path of vision with the number 10 pick. So I think the Giants, I've said this a lot, what we as in fans and media members perceive as a major weakness for the Giants, the Giants don't necessarily agree with us. It doesn't mean they're going to draft to fit that need that's perceived. Yeah, they don't seem to do that. And they, I mean, Jerry Reese surprises a lot. I mean, last year, the Eli, Eli Apple pick uh, came out of nowhere. And, you know, it wouldn't be surprised if he surprised everyone again. I mean, this is what Jerry Reese seems to do. And he's been doing it now for about a decade. I, I think this is his 10th draft. Um, or maybe last year was his 10th draft. He's been there since 2007. So he's got a, a lot of drafts that we could go back and look at and, and see what he did or, or didn't do uh, in certain drafts. Dan, offense, defense. Last week he did offense, this week defense. But just the idea of strengthening that defense even more. Do you think, do you like that idea? Or do you think the Giants, if it's a tie or, or they look at the board and say, look, there, there's, it's pretty even here that they should go offense over defense. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to what I said about, you know, best player available. I mean, if things are really, you know, if all things being equal, I think you'd probably want to lean offense because again, that is what this team needs more of. Uh, again, there's not a stud defensive tackle. You can say this guy's going to plug in and, and, you know, start every game. Uh, so if you're talking about guys who are a linebacker or a defensive end who be in a rotation is one thing. And then if on the other side of the ball, you can get a tight end who's going to, you know, again, start and be a huge part of your team. Uh, you know, a running back who can, you know, be a big contributor, even an offensive lineman, which there may not be in this draft. But if there is a tackle you believe can be a, an every game starter from day one, that might tip the scales. But it's it's such a delicate balance because, you know, you don't want to draft for need. You know, you want to get a guy who's going to help your team for a long time, but at the same time, you can't ignore your needs. Like, I go back and forth. I mean, it's, it's got to be an interesting process the way they put these draft boards together because there's no way they can look at their roster right now and not feel like they, you know, there'd be a little bit of pressure to, to draft an offensive lineman just because of the state of where they are. But at the end of the day, when, you know, when the 23rd pick comes up, there might just be a defensive end they're in love with, and it's, you know, it's going to overweigh you know, maybe what the team needs. So I, that's why it's an interesting thing. That's why there's a million mock drafts, and that's why everyone reads them. That's why this is fun, because it's so difficult to predict, because you know, we're not in these war rooms. And this is one of those things where maybe free agency, a lot of stuff leaks out. The draft doesn't really leak out, because there's absolutely no benefit to Jerry Reese whispering in a reporter's ear what he's thinking, because obviously that's something that could directly harm you know, what they're trying to do. And I know last year, obviously, I wasn't on the beat. But there's so much talk that, you know, the Giants supposedly telegraphed, you know, who they wanted and teams traded up ahead of them and, and it took them. So it's a lot of, you know, educated guesswork. I'll at least give us credit for saying it's educated guesswork, but it's really hard to predict where they would go. So we're left to kind of just look at things from the outside. And like you said, uh, you know, Jerry sometimes zigs when you expect him to zag. And uh, with, at 23, there's just so many different options. You no idea who's going to fall. It's really kind of a fool's errand to try and, you know, nail down exactly who he's going to take. Yeah, it's a great they point. They were interested. Go ahead, James. There's a great point Dan say, made about the draft, and you, know, you never know because the stuff doesn't leak out. It's why these mock drafts, I feel like, change every week. Yeah, I will say this. I definitely think, there's no doubt in my mind, the Giants wanted Leonard Floyd. After that, though, I'm not sure. what. It, I think they really wanted Jack Conklin as well uh, as a secondary choice. But I agree with Dan. I, there is a lot of stuff out there, and it, it seems to be very flexible. And I think one of the things the Giants fans have to realize is that when you're picking in the top 10, it's relatively easy to kind of zero in on you know, who the you know, most likely three or four candidates are, although none of us really had Eli Apple on the radar 
I think we, I had him in one mock draft and it wasn't, you know, because of some, you know, brilliant inside information. It was more just like a system of elimination with one of those draft uh, simulation machines. But I think at number 23, anything could happen. There's a lot more variables in front of the giants and potentially behind them trying to get back in. So I think that in terms of this year's draft and last year's draft, it's going to be a lot more loosey-goosey in the, in the final days when it comes to the Giants' intentions and what people believe they're trying to do. And something I just want to throw in, because this is obviously my first time covering the draft process, so I have a theory here that I won't be able to check until we get you know through the draft. But I, I almost don't believe as much in the smokescreen stuff. I know that's stated a lot and speculated a lot. I mean, these, these guys' time is valuable. I don't think they're really going to fly a guy in, spend hours with him if they're not interested at all. I mean, I know that that can happen, and maybe more at the top of the draft if you're really trying to jockey. But if you're 23, you don't even know if these guys are going to be available. So you're going to fly you know, Garrett Bowles in, go out to dinner with him, have him at the facility, meet your staff, all that, and you have no intention of drafting him. I just have a hard time buying that. I mean, I think that they one thing they definitely do is that does just because they don't meet with a guy that obviously doesn't mean they're not going to draft him. You, there's countless, uh, you know, occurrences of that in their past. Like they'll, they've had plenty of guys that drafted who had no idea because they said, oh, you know, I didn't even see him at the combine. They didn't bring me in. Didn't you know? Didn't do anything special at my pro day. So that definitely does happen. Like they might be so sure on their scouting because you also have to remember. The draft prep doesn't start when it, like it does for all of us, like at the combine. These guys have been watching these kids for three, four years, have a ton of tape and scouting reports. So they might have been so convinced on Eli Apple that there was nothing left to check off in a visit. But I, do, I don't put as much stock into the smokescreen thing. I don't think Ben McAdoo went to Texas Tech just to get everyone talking about him being a Texas Tech and watching Pat Mahomes. I think – there was uh, he wanted to do some homework. There was something, some questions he might have had about the kids. So that's just my take, and that's my theory. Obviously, we'll see if uh, <laughs> and it's hard to prove right or wrong though, because they're never come come out and say, "Oh yeah, we didn't really want that guy," or "Oh yeah, we really did want this guy." So it's hard to prove. But that, that's just kind of my, my theory. I wanted to throw out there. I'm with you on that theory. Last year, Dan, I remember the Eagles who had re-signed Sam Bradford. I think they were still at the 13th pick before they jumped up twice to get to two. And they were flying all over the country looking at quarterbacks. And people were like, well, it's just a smokescreen. No, it wasn't. (laughs) They wanted to get a quarterback. And obviously they did. And they're not going to waste their time. I'm I'm with you on that. And it's interesting, that whole conversation, James, about – you know, smoke screens or not. The one thing you notice during this process, and you guys do your mock drafts all the time at NJ.com, is they change. And some people fire back and say, well, how could things really change that much? And how could guys really fall or rise? Because nothing's happened, right? Like the combine happened. You have your pro day, sure, and your workouts. But they haven't played a game, none of these kids, since January, but most of them since November, a lot of them, or December in a bowl game. Do you, why do you think it changes so much? You, do you think it's because information doesn't leak out, so it takes a while to figure out, okay, that team might like this guy? Why do you think these mocks change and the projections change seemingly on a daily basis with some of these kids? I think there's multiple factors. I think that information, more information leaks out. I think teams you know, in the last kind of like couple of days have really started to solidify uh, their draft boards and kind of they have the final round of meetings and that, you know, obviously injury stuff comes out, guys have final medical checkups, you know, teams kind of pour things out. I do think that there's a, I, I use Solomon Thomas as an example. When the whole, you know, draft, you know, mock draft process started, you know, he was being mocked like the Giants at 23, like below that, you know, around that range. 
But all of a sudden now he's probably going to go number two to the Niners. I don't think Solomon Thomas has shot up a draft board in the past couple weeks. I think it's more of, you know, that's where the team's always had Solomon Thomas is like a top five, top 10 pick. And maybe just the media caught up to that, you know, as more and more voices get heard. But no, I think it's just, it's probably a little bit more information gets out. I, I do think there's some misdirection. I, I think Dan is right. I don't think that, you know, there's people just sit around all day making smoke screens. I, I, although I do think there are some, you know, smoke screens. I think this whole idea, you know, that the, you know, the Browns might draft Leonard Fournette number one, that seems to me like it's a, it's a smoke screen because it doesn't take a whole heck of a lot of effort to, you know, leak to some media member that, hey, we might do this. Uh, but I do think that it's a little bit much to say that you're going to fly a guy across country to make a smoke screen. But I think by and large, it's just whatever the league thinks, you know, the media kind of catches up to what the league thinks as the process, you know, rolls along. And by the time we get to draft day, we've got a pretty good idea of what's going to happen. Yeah, we usually do. And then it's it just a matter of, of what surprises us or, or what happens that no one could predict, like Laramie Tunsil last year, which obviously uh, impacted the Giants. Woody Eliapa. All right, last one on, on the draft and what we're looking forward to for next week. And then we'll do a kind of a lightning round with some over-unders um, for this, this particular draft and, and some of these names we're talking about here with the Giants at number 23. So, Dan, when you look at, at what the Giants have going on here and, and all these players that we've talked about and offense, defense – what do you think should matter the most? I want to get both your thoughts on this because I, I go back and forth because you want to say one thing matters more, but then it's clear other things do matter, right? So you have their career in college and the, the, the film, as people call it, or the tape, right? You have the combine and you have the pro day and the, and the interviews and the kind of the one-on-one stuff. What do you think should matter the most, Dan? And then do you think the other things matter too much? So it's like how would you rank – the, the three things. So we go with the tape, we go with combine, and we go with uh, pro day or, or kind of individual workouts. Uh, how would you rank how they should matter? And then how do you think they do? That's a good question. I mean, I think the cop-out answer is, oh, they, you know, they all matter. But if you're going to ask me my personal opinion, I, I think the tape, I th- it's funny because, again, we get so caught up in this process basically starting in the combine and what a guy broad jumps. We forget that there's video of what this guy did at the highest level in most cases for two, three, four years. Like You don't need to see Deshaun Watson's 40-yard dash to know that he can get outside the pocket and make plays. Or you know the fact that uh, you know some of these running backs, like Christian McCaffrey, is really uh, good in a three-cone drill. What would you expect? Did you watch him at Stanford You know with all the great cuts and everything like that? So I think that stuff gets overblown. I think it matters. Like, don't get me wrong. I can't, you can't just rule it out because there are some guys who are athletic freaks that are going to project a little bit better to the next level than maybe you know, a million different reasons why a guy might not have the greatest college career. But if you're, just, if you're giving me two guys, you got a guy who tested really well but didn't do a lot in the field, and you got a guy who tested okay but was really productive, give me the guy who's productive all day every day. Because I think it, the ceiling – I mean the floor is at least a little higher for those guys. Maybe the ceiling – I mean, yeah, I'm <laughs> getting all confused here. The ceiling might not be as high, but you're not – you're less likely to get a bust, I, I feel like, from a guy who has proven in the pack, you know, the Pac-12 or the, the Big Ten uh, SEC that he can – you know, play at that level. I think it's going to translate pretty well to the NFL. And then I think the interviews, if uh, I wouldn't say that's necessarily third because they are important, but uh, you do, because you need to know, you know, get to know these guys, uh, how they're going to fit into your program. Cause they might've done really well in college, but then you might find out the bad teammate or they just let them get away with everything. So you do need those. I think those are important. So I'd say by far for me, the film is number one. 
and then the next two, I think it's kind of interchangeable. I think they're both important, but I think if you're really ranking them, to me, the film and the college production would be the thing that's most important. I don't know if that's the case. I think it might be different for different teams, but for me, that would be number one. It's funny, like the, the guy this year for me with that, Tease Tabor, right? We talked about Hassan Reddick earlier as a riser. Tease Tabor from Florida, James. Not that, you know, we talked about corners. Not that the Giants would really be interested in him in the first round, but he was a guy I saw in Mock's first round, top 15 for months, and then he ran awful at both the combine and his pro day, and now it's like, well, who knows where Tease Tabor will go? He's fallen here. Where do you stand, James, on, on the three – the three little parts of this, big parts, but the three parts of this draft process, tape, uh, combine, pro day, or, you know, slash individual workouts and how much they should matter. I think tape has to matter the most. I mean, combine, I'm, you know, I'm sure that the interviews are important, but pro day, pro days to me seem like they're kind of rigged in the benefit of the players. I'm not saying that's a, that's a bad thing. I just, you wake up in your own bed Everything is kind of hand timed. You know, you're familiar with the facility. You know, you're you're on your campus. You know, it's. It, I think there's you know probably a lot, a lot of friends and family there. You know, it's kind of your last hurrah as a college football player. So, but I think I think game tape is the biggest thing. I think the other biggest issue these teams have to do is they have to take the tape and then they have to translate it to the NFL, which is a very big difference. I mean, I, I think Hassan Reddick is fascinating because he's a guy who. He didn't play a lot in high school because of his injuries at Haddon Heights. He walks on at Temple as a defensive back. He kind of becomes, you know, he plays this kind of defensive end position in their defense. Well, now he's being projected as a linebacker in the NFL. But And this is why I don't think that he's necessarily the best fit for the Giants, is that if you're a 3-4 outside linebacker, that's basically you're playing defensive end. I think it's a big kind of... Maybe not necessarily a leap, but it's a stretch, and it's a little bit of a risk to take a guy who's really never played linebacker in college and suddenly say, well, we're going to make this guy into a 4-3 weak side linebacker, which is what he probably would be with the Giants, because I don't think he's big enough to play defensive end in a 4-3, and he doesn't really have a tremendous amount of linebacker experience to begin with, so... I think that's also a big key. If you know you have this guy, you love his tape, but how is it going to translate to what you do? And you have to figure out a way to kind of separate the projection from the tape. And I, I think that's probably the biggest obstacle that when it comes to drafting a guy. Yeah, it is. It's not easy. But the, all these teams have different ways of assembling these boards and grades. And the Giants probably have theirs either done or, or close to it 10 days out. All right, we'll do a we have four questions here, four over-unders for you guys uh, about the draft. One of, a couple of these are about what we just talked about, some just kind of an overall uh, viewpoint for the Giants. All right, we'll start with Dan, then we'll go to James. And Dan, we'll start with one and, and a couple names you guys were just mentioning. Over-under on this one is 1.5, one and a half. Um, Gerard Davis, Hassan Reddick being on the board for the Giants when they get on the board at number 23. Over-under, one and a half of those names still on the board. I'm going to go under. I think Reddick, you know, is shooting up the boards enough that I think he'll be gone by 23. I think Davis will be on the board. So I would say one. So I'm going to go under. All right, under. So that gives the Giants a, a chance to get one of those linebackers. Uh, James, let's go with back to offense, kind of what we talked about last week. But, you know, it, it kind of goes along with the defense and what they might do in the first round. Um, we all think that the Giants, at least obviously, are thinking about taking a quarterback. But I think all of us think they might take one at some point in this draft. So over under on this, James, round in which the Giants select a quarterback in the 2017 draft. 
1.5. Over, Joe, over. I think it'll happen in the second or the third round. I know I've said, look, if the Giants think the guy is there at 23, they should take him. But that being said, I don't expect them to take him in the first round. I do expect them to take a quarterback in this draft. I think the second round, my guess is the third round. I think Nathan Peterman in the third round is the perfect move for the Giants. We'll see if they agree with me and if Peterman's even there. I love how consistent you've been on the Nathan Peterman train really since the season ended. I remember the Eli podcast we did and like, I mean, that, you just Gad- look at Nathan Peterman. I mean, it, it's, he's a pro style guy. He might be ready to be your backup immediately, which is something that would help the Giants potentially. He, you know, everything checks out character front. You know, the, the guy's played – I mean, Pittsburgh's not as big a market as New York, but he's played under a microscope. He was at Tennessee. Uh, yes, that's right. He, he did leave because of Josh Dobbs, but I think fans have to realize that they ran a spread at Tennessee. They ran a post-style attack at Pittsburgh. The guy threw five touchdown passes. They beat Clemson at Clemson. He's a West Coast fit. I just think he's the guy who makes sense for the Giants. We'll see if they agree. Yeah, we will see. And uh, if they get him, although they might have their quarterback uh, of the future there. Okay, let's go with Dan on this one. A guy that I I know the Giants, um, or at least we've talked about him in the realm of the Giants, probably won't be there. But he's he's a guy that his name has shot up a ton since the season ended. And that would be Christian McCaffrey. Now, the over-under on him, I'll give you, Dan, is Christian McCaffrey over-under. Where he's selected in the first round. I'm going to give you the number at nine and a half. Oof, nine and a half. I, I'm going to go over. I think his his name is definitely shot up the boards. That would seem a little high to me. I'd have to you know go back and look at the list real quick of, of who would maybe take him that early. I mean, I think maybe the Panthers at eight, I think I've seen uh, as a possibility. But that seems a little early for me. I, I really like Christian McCaffrey. I think he'd be a great fit for the Giants. I think he's going to be a good NFL player. But... And if I'm drafting a running back that early, I want a little, maybe a little bit more of a workhorse like a Fournette. Uh, so that's tough for me. I think maybe if you said in the the low teens, it'd be a tougher call because I think the Eagles, if he's there at 14, are going to have a tough decision. I think that he would be, uh, you know, pretty good fit there. So uh, I think he probably goes in that next tier, that 10 to 15 range, probably. Uh, I have a hard time seeing him, you know, cranking into the uh, the top nine. All right, last one for this week's episode, James. Over under Jerry Race trades. During the NFL draft, 0.5. Are the Giants going to make a move during this draft? I will say over. I don't know why. I'm just going to say over because I think there's a lot of talent in this draft. They might try to move up at some point. I don't think he'll trade the 23rd pick, but I do think just a hunch that with all the talent in this draft, they'll make a move to do something between rounds two and seven. So I'll say over. One trade. All right, one trade for Jerry Reese. All right, we'll end with this. This will be our final thing um, for this episode. And then this podcast will be back. I'm not sure if I'm going to be here with you guys. My wife is uh, my wife's pregnant, so I might be out next week before the draft. But you guys will be here for a full draft preview for the Giants. But I want to end can't with hold this. out for the draft, Joe? You know what? Well, she's been holding out for – she's late anyway. So I, I, I don't <laughs> think I'm going to um, – I'm not going to ask her to do that. But right, ma- maybe. Enough. Who knows? Um, so – Next week, you guys will preview the pick and the Giants and everything. I just want from each of you, and then I'll give mine, the, the first-round storyline. It doesn't have to be Giants. Just across the draft that is most interesting to you guys right now. There's, there's always a ton of rumors, possible trades, guys, you know, the quarterback situations. We'll start with you, Dan, then go to James. I'll give mine to wrap up. What's Of all these, these kind of rumors out there and thoughts of something that might happen, what's got your eye the most with 10 days out? 
Yeah, I'm glad to go first because I'll just take the most obvious one, I think, at least quarterbacks. Uh, it seems so unsettled. I really, you know, I can't think of a draft where you have no idea when the first quarterback is going to go off the board. Uh, you know, it seems like it definitely probably won't go number one. And then it gets into a situation where you start seeing what teams actually need them. Is a team like the Jets at six? Can they possibly draft another quarterback? There's question marks about all these quarterbacks. I mean, I think it was uh, Jaws said last week. He wouldn't take any of these quarterbacks in the first round. So just talk about a range where you could have quarterbacks going in the top five or they could be falling out of the first round, if, you know, depending on who you listen to. So I think that's going to be fascinating to see. Um, I think it's going to be interesting teams like the Giants, you know, deep in the first round that if, you know, Deshaun Watson does fall, then it, you know, you kind of really put them to the test of what they're looking to do for, you know, Eli Manning's successor. But I think that's just going to be fascinating because usually you go into the draft and you know that, you know, Cam Newton or, uh, you know, name a draft, name a year. There's pretty much a, a number one quarterback, and there isn't that this year. And I think it could be really interesting if these guys start to fall. Then you start seeing people, you know, probably trading up or trading back into the first round. So uh, I think that's going to be pretty fascinating to, to see unfold. James, what are you keeping an eye on ten days out? I th- what I th- you know I was going to say quarterbacks. Obviously, Dan took that. The running backs to me, I, I think, are going to be interesting. Obviously, you know Leonard Fournette. You know where is he going to fall? It seems like he'll be in the top ten. You know, our, our team's going to try to trade up for him. You know, will the Jets just hold it at six and take him? Could he go four to the Jaguars? McCaffrey, you know, is McCaffrey going to be a top 10 pick? Is he going to fall into the 20s? Is he going to go somewhere in the teens? Does Dalvin Cook completely fall out of the first round, given all the issues he's had? You know, what happens with Joe Mixon? I mean, to me, whatever team takes Joe Mixon, that's just going to be fascinating to me because that just seems like, to me, like it is a complete PR, you know, this inferno that some team is walking into, and once it happens, everything is going to come at them that moment. So I'm intrigued to see one how high he goes, and two how that team kind of tries to spin the pick and sell the pick because there's going to be a lot of outrage no matter who takes him. A ton, and I've always said with him, um, there's a segment of fans that aren't. You know, they probably don't listen to our podcast. They probably aren't the people that follow these things every day. And they might not even know who Joe Mixon is. They just like the Giants or like any other team. And the local news is going to have video of that incident with Joe Mixon that night, wherever, you know, whatever city takes him. You're right, James. That's going to be a fiasco. And I'm not sure which, which franchise is, uh, is ready for it. For me, it's the Browns, right? And the, how are they going to screw this up? And how are they going to do something that maybe they shouldn't do with the quarterback? Is it Trubisky? Are they going to trade out a one? Are they going to take Garrett or not? And the friction there, it's, it's like, I want to believe the Browns have some smart people in charge now, but every time you want to believe that they seem to do something silly or something else, uh, you know, comes out of that that team and, and the people covered it. All right, guys, this was fun. Ten days to go. You guys will be in Philadelphia next week, and uh, there will be a podcast next week with you guys and maybe me um, previewing <laughs> the 2017 draft. James, as always, thanks for doing this. You got it, Joe. Best of luck to you. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, good luck to you and, uh, and Mrs. Julio. Appreciate it. And thanks to all of you for listening to Episode 89 of Talk is Cheap. Back next week with a full draft preview for the Giants at 23 and this entire 2017 draft. 